Welcome to the Change My View podcast. It is Sunday, March 10th, 2019. This is episode, I believe, 28. We're recording two today, so I don't want to mix those up. But um, we are joined today um, by Thomas. Uh, so Thomas, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Thomas. Uh, my username is Zorpo. Right on. Um, and just for anyone I don't know, looking up users, underscore capital Z O-R-P-O. Um, and so uh, would you mind reading the title of your post and then uh, we'll get into some more stuff? Sure, yeah. So uh, my post is CMV, America is the Corrupted Enterprise Eisenhower warned about. Copy that. All right. So um, this was posted a couple months ago, got 3,000 upvotes. So uh, likely seen the, saw the front page and uh, had a ton of uh, conversation happening under this. Uh, so a successful post, I'd say. And um, so I appreciate you taking the time to, to, to join us. And um, so just to, for starters, um, what was like contextually going on in your world or, or the world at large that uh, kind of was happening on the day you decided I got to post about this? Like what was maybe a tipping point where like I got to go on change my view? Why change my view? Like what, what led to it? Uh, so I think I think it was like the day before uh, Mattis had quit when Trump had announced he was pulling out of Syria and bringing every troop home. And then the next day, and I, I just thought it was such a petulant, childish move to be like, my boss disagreed with me about a policy take. And, you know, say what you want about politics. I may just accidentally disclose my particular leanings in, in this conversation. Totally but, fine. Yeah, I mean, but I don't want to color anyone's opinion. You know, like the point is, I was in the military. I deployed mm -hmm. twice. Uh, there's a couple other military members that got involved in this conversation and had differing views than I did. Um, from what I saw, you know, and I think I kind of covered this going into it, I was pretty like, I, I was maybe a little bit skeptical of, you know, American exceptionalism, but I was more or less a, you know, America, not, no, not American can do no wrong, but America is generally a force for good in the world. And we're out, you know, trying to promote democracy and, and, and fair values and, you know, better countries, uh, and that kind of changed when I was in the military. And, and, and so when I, when I saw him doing that, like my perspective was someone is trying to exert any kind of control on this system. And the one guy who everyone had thought was this sort of bipartisan force for sanity in the administration throws a tantrum and quits. Mm -hmm. And so the next day I was just like, all right, look, everyone knows this speech. I mean, all right, that's not true. Everyone doesn't know this speech. A lot of people are very familiar with the speech and that's the way I had come to sort of view, especially the shipyard environment, especially mm -hmm. being in a maintenance period in the Navy shipyard. That's how it's just, it is many octopuses feeding on a dead whale. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, would it be fair to summarize to say that, um, essentially when, when Mattis put in his resignation um, letter and everything that like, he was powerless against uh, a larger military industrial complex set of powers that be um, to, to make the change he wanted. And so in frustration against pushing against that power, he quit or no, no, that's, sure I'm understanding you right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so that Trump who again, say what you will about his policies uh, had sworn that America was too involved around the world and that we needed to scale back our, our foreign enterprises and had made a promise to pull out of a number of countries, including Syria. And we, you know, him pulling out of Syria to Mattis was such an affront to what Mattis's understanding of the military is. And, and again, one of the other users goes into this and explains it pretty well that uh, it's probably a bad thing for us to pull out of Syria. Um, and we can talk about that more later on, but mm -hmm. um I thought, you know, again, say what you will about Trump, uh, him pulling out of Syria was probably a good thing. And Mattis was such a tool of the system, to my shock, that he quit in protest of Trump trying to downsize America's empire. Okay, so then, oh, and so in, in your view, then the president is also up against this machine and... Um, well, cl clearly he is right because you know everyone has been dying left and right to keep us in Syria, and I think at the at the moment uh, there's been enough sabotage that that it looks like we're staying. 
Well, in, in um, one of the classes I'm, I'm, I'm in right now, they, they were breaking down sort of the, the four main schools uh, of U.S. foreign policy over the last like 200 years. And so one of them was called Jacksonian, which is uh, much closer mapping onto where President Trump's coming from. So it's not like he's coming out of the blue sky with a more isolated, not quite isolationist policy, but uh, less internationally involved policy. So like just for a little historical context for listeners, um, there there is a existing school sort of that comes from a Jacksonian. It's called Jacksonian. There's like Jacksonian tradition, Wilsonian tradition, Jeffersonian, and uh, oh God, I forgot the other one. Um, well, there's no test tomorrow, but <laughs> uh, they all have these different qualities. Some are more hawkish, some are more isolationist, right? So like Jefferson and Jacksonian ones are more like my mind our own business. Jeffersonian's more like uh, not as aggressive, whereas Jacksonian's like mind our own business. But if anyone tries anything, we're gonna like destroy them completely. Um, so it's like it still has some of that. Uh, I guess uh, uh, I, I forget the term, but um, so it, it's it's sort of like tr the the over the last seventy years, the more dominant schools then would would be like more realist, more um, like from the realist school from Cold War, like hard nosed international, uh, I won't go into the details, but basically, um, am I understanding you right that Donald Trump is, is outside the usual box of the Cold War, post-Cold War military strategy, and that is getting a lot of pushback from deep state, from like, like you know, Boeing, Donald, uh, McDonald Douglas, you know, all these different uh, industrial military manufacturers, that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. I, you know, I don't want to call it in any kind of way, but that that's that kind of nails what I'm what I'm talking about. Gotcha. Okay. And so Mattis's concern, in in your opinion, his he was leaving on account of the Syria thing, and his main concern about Syria was, um, what was his main? How would you summarize his main difference about Syria with the president? So, ISIS wasn't defeated, uh, and we need to stay there and continue to defeat ISIS because what's going to happen is there's going to be a power vacuum and Russia and China are going to step in to fill that vacuum and it's going to continue to erode American presence around the world. And, uh, that's, you know, I think that's a good start of what I believe, not just Mattis, but mm -hmm. I think a number of people who are opposed to us leaving Syria in, in this particular case. Yeah. So, okay. So his, his biggest objection I, I, um, I'll bring up the letter and we can maybe look at that a little closer uh, in a bit. But uh, I guess from, from your point of view, though, you're working uh, in. So are you, you are in the military now or were previously? No, I was previously. God damn. Okay. If I was in the military right now, I'd probably be hung out and shot if someone found out about this. I, should, I certainly <laughs> couldn't be talking to you about it. You're not allowed to. You're formally. Oh, uh, oh you, sure. That's yeah, military. Code of, uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you lose your First Amendment protections for expressing mm -hmm. your opinion in public. Uh, and identifying yourself at the same time. Yeah, like non, just non-political until you're out of uh, uniform. Yeah, yeah so probably. no, I'm, I, yeah. I, I'm getting my master's, uh, I'm getting my MBA oh, cool. right now. Uh, I, I, I uh, officially separated from the military about two years ago. Copy that, okay. Um, cool, so uh, let's go right into your post and see what that's, uh, see what that's about. So um, like I was saying uh, earlier offline, you know, uh, if you want, you can summarize it or read the whole thing, uh, whatever you think's uh, right, so. Sure, I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, oh, and, and if you would, might just read the title again, too. So. Sure, yeah. Uh, CMV, uh, America's the Corrupted Enterprise, Eisenhower warned about. And the text of it goes, uh, other than the sections of the speech below, I think I can summarize my view shortly. I served for just about five years in the Navy as an officer. Over two de deployments, I shifted my view from one where the United States was ultimately a force for good to one where the United States is at base. A, ha a hammer con ugh, constantly looking for nails. I was repeatedly disabused of my ideals of American foreign policy by the lackluster ideas of the senior officials I spoke with and the incompetent logic of the few admirals I had the luck to get into a lecture room with. Uh, one exceptionally frightening experience was listening to a 90-minute lecture from an admiral on his belief that within a decade we would be in a shooting war with China. Uh, this was a lecture uh, in 2015. In short, from these experiences and spending two extended maintenance periods, uh, periods in uh, Navy shipyards, um, swimming with contractors, I believe that America's foreign policy is no longer a force for good. 
uh, that a, quote, unwarranted influence, end quote, exists between the military and its constituent industries and our government. And that we do not have a, quote, alert and knowledgeable citizenry, end quote, steering a proper meshing, quote, of the military industry and our society's peaceful pro-liberty goals. Ultimately, my belief is that America no longer, Americans no longer have the ability to extract ourselves from the state of constant war that we presently have. We will have to expand our involvement internationally so that an era of peace will never again exist in the United States where all of our troops will be at home accepting whatever international basis we have. And there won't be a looming clock of regularly planned interventionist deployments. And then I quote a small part of the Eisenhower speech, um, which I'll read. Really quickly, despite these holocausts, yeah. you, you're not going to be able to play the speech, right? That, that's correct. Yeah, so definitely go for it. Yeah, an hour. Yeah. Okay. So despite these all, uh, despite these holocausts, America is today the strongest, the most influential, the most productive uh, nation in the world. Understandably proud of this preeminence. We realize that America's leadership and prestige depend not merely upon our unmatched material progress, riches, and military strength, but on how we use our power in the interests of world peace and human betterment. Progress towards these noble goals, noble goals, is persistently threatened by the conflict now engulfing the world. It commands our whole attention, absorbs our very beings. We face a hostile idol ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose, and insidious in method. Unhappily, the danger it poses promises to be of infinite duration. A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known by any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II and Korea. Until the last of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares code with time, and as required, make swords as well. But now we can no longer risk emergency improv improvisation of, of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security more than the net income of all United States corporations. In the councils of government, I'm sorry, hold on, I skipped the line. The total influence, economical, political, and even spiritual is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will continue to exist. Partly because of the huge costs involved, a government contract becomes virtually a substitute. Damn it, I missed another line. Is it you can go back. I, I do it all the time when I'm reading this. Yeah, yeah. Just, just go for it. Yeah, just go back and it's all good. Uh, so we must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic process. Uh, we should take nothing for, for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together. Partly because of this huge cost involved, our government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. For every blackboard, there are now, hundred, now hundreds of electronic computers. The prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocation, and the power of money is ever present and is gravely to be regarded. Another factor in maintaining balance involves the element of time. As we peer into society's future, we, you and I and our government, must avoid the impulse to live only for today, plundering for for our own ease and comfort, or our own ease and convenience, the precious resources of tomorrow. We cannot mortgage the material assets of our grandchildren without asking the loss also of their political and spiritual heritage. We want democracy to survive for all generations to come, not to become the insolvent phantom of tomorrow. Uh, and then I made an, uh, an update. Uh, just wanted to put this link here because a few people got into it with me about whether or not the DOD budget was too large. They argued that military spending has been declining versus the 
uh, versus our GDP for decades. I pointed out that the public does not know the actual spending on the military because spec op stuff is sometimes made secret, which I was wrong about. I got pointed that out later on. Um, but my point still stands in some ways. Uh, and it disappears from the budget. Uh, I linked a, a Washington Post article from 2015 uh, in, mm -hmm. in my responses. And today, an article, this came out, I think, three days or four days after I made huh. this post uh, that uh, spoke about effectively legalizing the process of carrying two sets of books, uh, of hiding the military budget from the public. Mm -hmm. and, then I, and then I provide the link. Yeah, and I think I, I went over that before we got online. I think, um, so part of that was like, um, there have been accidental leaks or whatever where you find like CIA line items as a part of defense budget or vice versa, that kind of thing. So part of it, part so the article's in Rolling Stone and part of it was... And, and by the way, I will link that in the show notes too. Uh, and anything else, just uh, let me know if you want me to add anything, but go ahead, yeah. Yeah, sure, so part of it was about... Um, the right, the fear about uh, stuff that should be secret staying secret, and and it and it being within, contained within though the 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 same number. So let's pretend the number was thirty thirty trillion thirty trillion dollars. Mm -hmm. um, the the number would stay at thirty trillion, or whatever it is, three hundred billion. I don't know what it is. Three hundred billion. Seven hundred ish. But I don't okay, know. yeah. I I I was cognizant of it when I when I wrote this and I was looking at it, but now I don't remember. So 700 billion, um, it doesn't increase or decrease based on that secret spending. It's hidden in there, the lines are redacted, uh, all you see is the number. Um, and there was concern that maybe a budget would get out that had those numbers and it could compromise. You know, we don't wanna let, we don't wanna let our adversaries know exactly how much money we're budgeting to the FBI mm -hmm. or the CIA or whatever because the they, yeah we don't want to let them know that but mm -hmm. the, the, the relevant point of this story is that they they legalize this process this accounting pr process for for duty uh to keep two sets of books to keep a book mm -hmm. that we pu we publish and a book that we don't publish which which means none of the values that we see are relevant to the amount of money that's actually being spent um, okay, so so do I have it right that we like we know kind of what the total number is, but not like how that total number is chopped up, or is it that we're given a total number? I think for 2018 here, I have it at 639 billion um, from DoD, and but you're saying like that 639 could be higher, but we don't know, or is it that we know it's topped at that, but whatever is underneath, we just don't know how it's divvied up. Yeah, so I wish that was I wish that was clear, right? Um, the, the only thing that I that that is clear to me so from the 2015 Washington Post article that I linked further down in the article it suggested what you said was true that we know the total number but we don't know what's in it um, not necessarily we know some of what's in it that's that's public knowledge but you know we keep this we keep the secret stuff secret but the number stays the same okay so like so like the percentage of GDP part is what you're not no longer contending but you're still saying there's a huge problem that we don't know enough there, and that's related to the military industrial complex's influence. Well, I'm saying in 2015, that was more or less true. Three days after I posted this, mm -hmm. an, an article comes out saying that's no longer true, that we don't even know if that total number is right anymore because they have so successfully lobbied to change this accounting procedure for DOD so that not, even that total number doesn't have to be disclosed legitimately okay so so your concern is that that unknown could be large enough to counter the uh by the book trend of decrease over long term i mean i'm not going to dispute yeah. that here like that was a sub point that we got into discussion mm -hmm. about you know later on um but i'm just saying for the boy scouts out there who think like look it's been declining yeah that may be true but don't believe that that number is 100 percent. and this this journalism Backs it up. This, this, this. Yeah, this, yeah. So, this, so there's still some unknown there, but it's probably not like double. You know, it's not like 1.2 trillion. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people would notice, right? But yeah. you know, yeah. Copy that. Yeah. Uh, cool. I don't know. I just wanted to clarify that because it was just on on first read. That was the one thing I wasn't sure about. So, um, excellent. Okay. So um, you gave out one delta in there, right? And uh, we narrowed that down. So I was looking, hoping we can uh, sort of jump to that and just see. Um, 
and we got that tabbed earlier and hopefully I uh, do a better job here than I did last podcast and finding it. And now I'm not, <laughs> I just had it. Uh, shoot. Uh, it's the, uh, the morble guy, I think. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Okay. So yeah. Um, so what I thought I might do is just, um, we can do the back and forth here that starts with morble and then you, and then, um, then Purcell B is the person you ultimately uh, would award the Delta to. So, um, but I'll read both Morble and Purcell B's if that's cool with you, just so it's a different voice than yours. Sure. Groovy. Okay. So, um, this is Morble's, uh, 133 upvoted comment here, uh, direct to your post. It says, it doesn't really seem as if you're qualified your position with a substantive argument. Although I don't doubt that you have one. A lecture given by an admiral and incentive structures for funding the purchase of weaponry are neither evidence of corruption nor evidence of corrupt policy. So I responded, uh, I'm not a professional debater, nor do I have experience with structured debate, but this is my contention. We will continue to, quote, we will continue to expand our involvement internationally so that an era of peace will never again exist in the United States where all our troops will be at home accepting our international bases, and there won't be a looming clock of regularly planned interventionist deployments. My argument is that, or my contention really, I guess it shouldn't be called your argument, but uh, is that because of the dispersion of military industry across the states and a disinterested public will never get out of a state of forever war that we're in currently. Cool, and then I'm just gonna uh, read now this one by a different user, but sort of part of the same thread that led to your Delta, which was by Persol, B-P-E-R-S-O-L-B. Uh, and it goes as follows. Uh, they say, thanks for the clear contention argument here. It clears up your view. I'm not going to directly address your experience in shipyards or training, except to say that nothing you've stated is surprising in any other organization. Large human organizations all appear inefficient with unclear conflicting goals. Um, people making bold and inaccurate predictions and everyone can see how effed up everything else in the organization is. Given that most human organizations are resilient and can on average make progress. I don't think it is realistic to expect a government organization to automatically be better. The part I want to expand on is, and then he th I think he's quoting you here. We will never get out of a state of war, a state of forever war. Um, and then they continue. The U S has been at war since before its inception. Uh, with about 20 interspersed years of exception. Um, this isn't unique to the U.S. as Europe has had approximately the same record, um, although most of the wars there are internal. Uh, in fact, the level of our quote-unquote forever war measured in total deaths has been trending down since Eisenhower spoke. Eisenhower explicitly mentioned the amount we spend on the military. As a percentage of our GDP, the amount of resources we divert to the military is also at a low. Uh, these are all linked uh, also by the user. Um, so that said, the issues described by Eisenhower specifically appear to have less and less of an impact every year. Your reframing of his speech as will never again exist in the United States where all of our troops will be at home, uh, quote unquote, is likewise, likewise inaccurate, as these periods have always been anomalies for any large country. And uh, I'll leave the rest to you. And I said, okay, I'll award a Delta here because after clicking through the links, I take your point that I may have been a bit overstated in some regards. I do want to point out that even at 4% of GDP for just the military, this is a distracting number to make a solitary basis on given that it does not include overseas intervention spurred by the CIA, the NSA, the State Department, or the money hidden from public view by classification above secret. I'm a comment here. I was totally wrong about that. It's not how it works, but there's links that you, you'll be able to get to that'll kind of indicate what I was aiming at. Right on. Additionally, while you can see that much of our history of war is internal, I still disagree that the last 70 years have been wildly different due to the influence Eisenhower pointed out. For example, for much of our history, we didn't have a standing army. It was only called up, which, re which required Congress and the people to agree. At some point, uh, we are now at the point we are at now, it's immensely difficult for politicians, even if they wanted to, and I think almost all of them don't, to move towards removing our troops from the various wars we're involved in. I don't need to remind you of the bipartisan condemnation of the move to leave Syria, let alone what will happen as we try to leave Afghanistan. Still, your links do shade my argument some, so Delta. Right on. Okay. Um, 
of those uh, shadings, what what are the ones that's most interesting to you? So the first link uh, to globalresearch.ca uh, and the dates of all the, the timelines, the timeline of America's wars. And I looked at that and I was like, you know what? You're right. Yeah. To frame them at, to frame the way I frame the argument, he's right. Um, I can't frame it as, because yes, it is an abnormality. I mean, I could, I could go and make a Steven Pinker argument that like better angels of our nature, mm -hmm. like global violence is decreasing. Everyone, you know, everyone's mm -hmm. rising out of poverty. And that's, I think what, what he was, what he was shooting for. And mm -hmm. you know, he or she, he or she is right. Um, and in, in that level, uh, that doesn't mean I can't be idealistic about, and I'm going to totally ignore like the first part, actually, like the part about like the, that there, and I don't think this was this dude. I don't think this was Persolve who said this. Um, no, it was the part okay. about, so the part about yeah, like yeah. large human organizations have inefficiencies. That's mm -hmm. bunk. Like that's totally bunk. That's a that's that's a gross gross uh, assumption. That's not what I'm talking about. I you know, I you know, I can hope that publicly spent money would be spent well, and it's idealistic of me to think that. And that's the view I had when I went in, and that's probably why it colors my post. And I certainly had some maturing. But I've worked at organizations that are that are lean and efficient, and they're large. And I've worked at organizations mm -hmm. where there's dedicated people, and they don't make a lot of money, and they're still dedicated. Mm -hmm. uh, and to say that everything's inefficient, but we ultimately get to where we're going, was a little bit too much. But the rest of what he said was more or less yeah, enough like, like, to to shade my argument. Yeah. Like as a taxpayer, you're like, okay, even if human organizations all are commonly inefficient or whatever like i demand excellence of those spending my tax money like right is that kind of like like it's fair right you're like i want the government to not be inefficient like, like well it's not even my money I, it's, why not right like, like I mean, I want, for you to yeah. ask of excellence seems like you want the best of and that's almost of, the, for greatness for good for good uh but what you're competence, right somewhat but what you're saying is is i i would say too uh too idealistic uh, I I just want them to not be picking at the corpse. I don't want I don't want the various industries that feed off of the federal government with regards to the military mm -hmm. to be per perpetuating war and death so that they can continue to stay in business. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's a little bit different from I demand excellence for my tax dollars. I just don't want industry to be pulling stop and frisk maneuvers on innocent fishermen in the Persian Gulf because they need to pay their bills at home. So, so essentially like the lobby that represents the, the part of the economy that whose, you know, primary uh, product is military related, right? Be it, you know, making campaigns yes. or tanks or aircraft carriers or, you know, um, and that th those corporations, um, exert an influence in their lobbying that could uh, essentially end up in some unfair practices at the end of the line uh, on the fishing boat in the Persian Gulf with the guy getting first. Um, and that's unjust and it's not right. And it's right in line with Eisenhower's concerns. Is that fair? Yeah, more or less. Cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a different situation than we've like any other time in history, right? Mm. It's like our first try at this in terms of like a this long of a like it's like the last seventy years, like okay, nuclear weapons were in the mix. It was like post World War Two, like it, you know, the beginnings and hints of like trying United Nations thing kind of going on, but then and it's I don't know, to me, like, it just seems like on a global scale now we have you know the U.S. in this position where we are have, we are heavily involved in a lot of places, and then you've got like a lot of varying arguments, right? Like you've got the guys like even within the realist school who disagreed like like i don't know mearsheimer is like oh well we should be strong but like less involved and only go over when things go really bad or like other people are like we should be more involved you know we, you know going into whoever like the neocons back in the 2006 ish or right so so in sorting all of that out and trying to puzzle it out a lot of that 
conversation happens in Congress and backrooms and White House and on the, the media, on the news. And, and so like with all that picture in mind, like where would you say that is the most concentrated center of like the military industrial complex itself? Like, is it, is there like some DC, man? Are you for real? DC? Uh, no, I mean like, is there like a convention every year, like of all the military manufacturers that meet like at a big golf course resort and like talk about this, or is there a, no, uh, no, more like an origin like... property thing that it's just a trend of economics and you know, like how organized is this? Yeah, thing? no, it's not organized. It's certainly okay. not. No, I, you know, I think some of the generals and admirals are like the, so imagine you have the hardest job, one of the hardest jobs, one mm -hmm. of the five hardest jobs where you move every two to three years and the only people you know are also in the military and you do this for 30 or 35 years and yeah. you're working towards a particular goal and that goal ends up maybe you suddenly realize not being good for society or could you even be able to realize that because not only is your legacy your career been working for a particular thing it's the only thing you know it's your world yeah it's your world and this is what i mean by we're a hammer and everything is a nail yeah when you ask when the experts are all career military you're asking a hammer what to do. It's like if I was gonna, if I had been recommended by my GP to get a surgery, mm -hmm. I can ask the surgeon, hey, do you think I really need this? But he's a surgeon, he's gonna say, fuck yeah, you do. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like what's how often should I go to a dentist checkup and you might ask your dentist, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. Like you, you see an incentive there for them not to be completely objective. They can't be objective. Yeah. You know, you, if you're asking someone about a, a surgery and they're a surgeon, unless it's a gross malpractice incident, it's a chance for them to make a buck. And you know what? They've dedicated their life to the belief that surgery in this particular application is the best choice. Yeah, that does bring up like an interesting meta question about like any area of expertise. Like, like what is the best counter force to like any field, whether it's toothbrushes or military or whatever? To like, well, you want to go to the experts for the information, right? But then, like, there, no, no matter what the field is, there will be some bubble of that expertise, right? And that's where, and that's right? where, and that's room for that's where room for like personal opinion comes in, right? Mm -hmm. And it, you know, this is sort of like if you if you you know, and I've done this since later. Like, if you want to go read manufacturing consent, you that's, can see the other guest brought that up too. <laughs> like, it, yeah, and and you know, I. A totally uh, different topic, but Chomsky came up also. It's just, it's very funny. Yeah, I don't particularly like, like, to be clear, don't particularly like Chomsky. But from a journalism perspective, it was evident that they were asking State Department officials about what they thought, how they thought the Vietnam War was going. And the State Department officials were the only source. And what do you think the State Department officials are going to say in 1968? Yeah, because I don't think the Pentagon Papers came out to like, what, 74 or something? So, so yeah, so, yeah. so where's your, if that's the only source of information in, in this particular case, expertise is a bad thing mm -hmm. because you're asking the experts, but the experts are the people who are keeping us there. Yeah. Yeah. No, like after Vietnam, there was a huge, um, we just did a, a piece on this in one of my classes, but like, like the levels of distrust in the government just skyrocketed. Right. So like it, all this trust had been burned, but then like coming back to like desert storm, you know, Gulf war one. Um, they came back up again. And, and so this is this weird cycle of like trust and distrust of like, like there were interventions that might've happened in the late seventies, but didn't because of Vietnam, like arguably lack of intervention in like stopping Pol Pot, stuff like that. And like, um, again, I'm just juggling like this different views we're reading about, but, but when, when those trends go up and down, right. When there's at a particular like low for the reputation of the military and that the whole complex, um, you know, trusting the defense department at their word. And we'll, we'll call that low, like late seventies, maybe like, is this power, does this power wane and grow as well? Like other things, or do you think it's still strong behind the scenes? I think since nine 11, there hasn't been a lot of willingness to question what we're doing in our military incursions because yeah. You know, it was it was a new Pearl Harbor, and it kind of reset the clock on a lot of stuff for America. Mm -hmm. And 
it's different now. And this is another part of, this is a, you know, a part of what I kind of mentioned. The public doesn't care. I, you know, I had, I was an, I was an abnormality and then I had a lot of friends who were civilians who, who were outside of the military and they didn't understand what I did. And we, you know, when I told them I was off the coast of Yemen in 2014, 15, mm-hmm. We were at war in Yemen in 2015 or 14 or whatever it was. I was on that deployment. I think it was 15. Right. When did you know we were in, in, at war in Yemen? Probably not 2015, probably a year or two ago. That would be like a really depressing episode of jaywalking. Just like going around Universal Studios. Like, when did you know we're in Yemen? Like, sorry. Um, yeah, but, you know, right. Yeah. Like, 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 you were asked, like, like, if you were to ask people, like, you're getting at a good point. A lot of people had no idea what was going on. And, right? and, and, and you wouldn't know. Because it's not, it's not, that kind of stuff is not widely covered. And if it is covered, who cares? Like there's like, it's, it, it, it's the, it, the point I'm trying to make is public opinion about this is so out the window that nobody cares. And the people who do care get to drive the bus. And the people that do care are the defense industry, the general and a number of people who find it politically convenient to be in favor of some of this stuff. And then what's more, these industries are so dispersed that you don't have any public pushback against the, the, the industry. You don't have any public pushback against the war and it's in your district. Why would you be against it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's in uh, and, and watching Eisenhower's speech. I mean, he, he he kind of like like going into world war ii a lot of people might not know is that like the, the like you were saying earlier the, the military strength we had was like very small like it was like an army of like thirty thousand people or something like they had to practice with wooden guns while they started making them when things were revving up after pearl harbor but um you know eisenhower's talking about how okay given this new situation in the world um we essentially have to have this military power but watch out because this you know, they're like anything with power, it can be corrupted. And, and uh, if you get too much power, we can uh, suddenly our whole civilization can become about this thing, you know? Um, and so do, do you concur with his point that we still need the strength, but need to wield it more responsibly? Or do you think generally speaking, we can cut down our strength as well? Like, like where are you at with that piece of it? Yeah, so he's, he's, he's exactly right. And that's the point of uh, Eisenhower's speech is that this has to happen. And we need to be aware that we're taking on this parasite. We're creating this parasite because we need it for existential survival. Mm-hmm. And you need it, the public needs to be aware that this parasite is constantly trying to topple their government. Not, you know, this is a little bit too catastrophizing, but this parasite is like any big industry capable of flipping your democracy into an oligarchy or a technocracy or some kind of non-ideal situation for the average American mm-hmm. people. Um, this is it, people say fascism all the time, but what fascism is is government governments let corporations control the government with their authority. So the government is ultimately in control, but the governments pick and choose corporations, and those corporations become all powerful. And well, well, is that? Like an economic, like a command economy situation. It's not command. It's not, a, it's not command economy. Fascism. Just, are, it's a new definition of fascism for me. So I'm just working with where you're going on that. So my understanding, maybe I'm dead wrong, but my understanding of like theoretical fascism, not as it's been applied, is it's a capitalistic economy with an authoritarian leader, and the authoritarian leader has maybe nationalized, maybe semi. Uh, independent industries that operate the government, and then oh, typically, yeah, yeah, like the, the economic side of that system, it's like on the government side totalitarian, but on the economy side, not like a Soviet model. It's more like you know, corporate plutocracy. Yeah. yeah okay. Gotcha. And so the the danger that Eisenhower is posing is us essentially uh, allowing too much of that power to be wielded by this infrastructure. And and the point being that if it is, the implication is that you will always be at war. 
Yeah, like to, to just to keep the thing alive. Um, where do, so where do you feel we're at um, on that scale? Like like even if the let's say deaths per combat per year as a percentage of global population has gone down or whatever, like do you, th- th- it could still be true that the power, the amount of control wielded by this slice of the Washington DC pie, it may be disproportionate. Like it, it, do you feel that the power is still there even if the the death count's gone down? So it's a good thing that the death count's gone down. Um, I can't argue that point. Uh, I think the power is still there. Um, I, I think that it's become a lessening. That's not the right way to say it. It's not that it's become a lessening influence. It's that it appears lessened because people are not looking at it. Mm. But I don't know. So... I don't. I don't think it's getting better. I don't know. Am I answering your question? I feel like I'm not. Um, I'm just trying to get a sense of like how how many alarms should we be at right now? Like, let's say height of the Cold War, highest percent of spending. I, I yeah, that could be maybe a higher rate where they had more power. Maybe there's an ideal rate. Let's say they have like the ideal. Let's say the ideal rate is they should have ten percent of the uh, power quotient in Washington D.C. Right, but maybe now they're at thirty percent, and that's too high. Like, like yeah. what's your sense of like how how off the mark are we? Where's the ideal? So I, I'm not going to make public policy proclamations. I, I don't know what the right number is. I'm yeah. not a professional. I was in the military for just under five years. Mm-hmm. And this is not my where I can give you good advice. But I can tell you it's no good if the general public, it's not on their radar and they don't care. It's the bottom issue to them. It's it's below climate change. Mm-hmm. So that's probably not good. But I don't know what the right number is. It could yeah. probably be low. But my, my chief concern is nobody seems to care that we had four special operators killed in Niger two years ago. We were, we're in Niger now. Now I get it. We're doing training missions. We're trying to make people better, but there's a war there for real. Nobody was going to tell anybody until two, like four, two special operators died. And that's how it felt when I was, when we were in Yemen in 2015, who knew that I knew there was a conflict, Mm -hmm. but who knew until I deployed there, I'm like, wait, we're providing support to spec ops in Yemen right now. Right. I didn't even know about this. It wasn't in the news. I knew there was a civil war, but that's, you know, I didn't know we were there. Yeah. And I think as long as people know and they're cool with it, whatever. But if people don't know and they don't care to know, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. Uh, you, the, the previous guest would agree with you that we need a population better equipped with the tools to be better citizens and informed. So it's funny how you both, in a way, got to a, uh, that similar problem. You know, it's a totally different topic, but like, but it sounds like what you're saying is that the population itself needs to be more interested, more. You know, it's war, dude. People yeah. die. Like, yeah. if if you're apathetic about that, what's that say about you? Mm-hmm. If if you're cool that we displaced 500,000 Iraqis, it, it's probably wrong. That's probably not the right number. It's probably like several million. But let's say we made homeless 2 million people and then we go into Syria and Bashar al-Assad, bad guy. Obama probably shit the bed on that one. But at the same time, like there's 300,000, couple million people uh, dead, a couple million people refugees. Um, you know, these are, these, these, this is not, you know, I want to tweak the marginal tax rate a few percentage points because I think it'll make quality of life go up for people. Mm -hmm. This is hundreds of millions, or this is hundreds of thousands of people homeless and dead and you don't care. And you not even know you, you don't care. You don't even recognize this issue. Yeah. We should be passionate about our foreign policy. Mm-hmm. We're going to wage war around the world. 
Yeah, it's it is interesting that in U.S. politics and some of my readings, it, you know, outside of the big flare-ups like Vietnam or during a big war, it, it, it tends to just be like almost fall into uh, very low public awareness rates. And here's the conspiracy thing about that. Why do you think nobody gets too upset about it being quiet? It's better for the industry if nobody cares because then they can just keep doing business as usual. When people care, eh, then it gets dicey whether or not next year's yeah. profits are going to be as good. Well, I guess the, the caring machine would, would generally be connected with uh, you know, what media news, what news is being consumed and from what sources in a sense, right? So, so would there be like a deeper connection kind of between this military industrial machine and like uh, the largest sources of news that people are consuming? So, I mean, that's the thesis of manufacturing consent. Mm -hmm. uh, exactly what you just said is the thesis of manufacturing consent. Um, I don't think it's some sort of grand conspiracy. I don't think there's some sort of cabal. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think it's general human apathy uh, that, yeah. you know, I don't, you know, wages have been stagnant for since before the financial collapse. Mm -hmm. The reason I joined the military because I graduated when the economy was in free fall oh, and man. yeah. And had, you know, sh crap job for two, two and a half years. And then just like, screw this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, but wages haven't recovered. It's been 11 years. People keep saying the economy's getting better. So I understand why people don't care about foreign policy because their wages are stagnant. They're worse than they were in 2009. Um, or 2008 and yeah. they don't have health care. They don't, mm -hmm. you know, there's questionable stuff happening at the borders. People are like telling them it's the end of the world with this tide of immigration and they're concerned about rising sea levels. I was stationed in Norfolk. Mm -hmm. That is going to go away. Like, they're going to move that base. I can understand why really? there's, other, yeah, they're, they're going to move that base. If Norfolk doesn't wow. build some like Dutch style mm -hmm. barricade around it, you can't, if you can't, if the force can't get onto the base because the floods. Yeah. Can't have the base there. Um, and, and you got to build by water to build a Navy. Right. So it's like, Oh, well, what do you do? Right. And, and, yeah, I mean the DOD. So I was reading these articles about the DOD being concerned about stuff like climate change, mm -hmm. Bush years. Oh yeah, yeah, it goes way because, back. Yeah, and nobody wanted to confront it, but if the single employer in the Hampton Roads region, which is Norfolk, Virginia Beach, Newport News, mm -hmm. or Yorktown, that whole part of like Virginia Beach, that whole sector of Virginia, if those bases have to leave because they're below sea level. That whole region, that's not a recession. That whole region becomes like coal country. And it's now just a bunch of opiate addicts who've been chronically unemployed. Mm -hmm. So it's a real issue for Virginians that those, yeah. those bases stay there and that the industry stays there. Sure. Yeah. And all those, not just the naval bases, but the naval building, the construction. Ship, yeah. The shipyard. Yeah. And that's, and then we circle back around to the military industrial complex and basing your economy off of the defense industry. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it is just the most massive, like, military thing ever. I mean, just, just the sheer logistics of operating like this unipolar, like, hegemon status of all like 150 bases all over the world it's just a uh, like a just massive uh thing so I, I, it's so one of the uh, one of the commenters made a lot of really good points and he mm -hmm. he identified himself as a, a naval aviator so he's a pilot and uh his name's uh gtf arenas or arenas mm -hmm. or i'm really sure how to say it um and he he kind of talked about how like we need to have like we have treaties that require us to train with our, our, our allies and deploy units to train with our allies. And that's 
that's a good point. Like we do need to do all that stuff and we do need to have a military that's active. Um, and I don't know. I just, it doesn't seem like it's thoughtful from, from a public perception perspective. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't seem like the wider public is thoughtful about it. Um, yeah, so some of the influencers that are thinking about it are just are in my required me- reading, as it turns out. And what was really interesting in I'm going back to school now, but just in diving into all this stuff is is how much they seem to disagree. Like some of the guys at the top level at all these different universities talking about you know foreign policy and you know uh, just what it's like. It's like the smartest people in the room are still disagreeing. Like, should we be more involved in the world? Less involved in the world? You know, yeah, I got Graham Allison here was <laughs> arguing that we're, we're definitely going to war with China. Like, and I don't know. I, th- I think it's, I think his argument, which I have to guess the Admiral you spoke to probably had, had read at some point is, is pretty poor. Um, but I guess we're yeah. like, some of the quality of the reading is amazing. Like you're like, okay, I can see why this guy is like some of the top level thinkers of international policy and for all this, but other, you're like, there's other voices there. You're like, why are they there in the room? Like, um, I don't know. It was just more, it was, if, if you're ever interested in, there's a lot of, we can talk about this later, but like interesting reading that's, it's just out there of these people debating on like, what should we do? And I, I, I guess I wonder to a degree, like how much are people who are decision makers reading the academic experts? And I don't know. Yeah. I don't really think, I don't know. I, I, I have always been skeptical of academia. Uh, I don't think they provide a lot of useful information by and large. I, I trust much more like journalism. And I mean, I, I'm not talking about scientific academia. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like theoretical historical academia and stuff like that. Like guys who are arguing whether or not Germany was the bad guy in World War I. Like I don't really care about that, that contention and I think you're foolish if that's your primary concern as a career. But I understand people are going to make the choice. Um, but, you know, I think that these leaders are too influenced by the biases that they have. That, that they, they've come up in this system and they've learned what was true within the system and then they continue to more or less operate as a product of the system. Um, and there's not a lot of people who stick around who are skeptical of our interventionist policies. I mean, we don't have a good track record. If you look at the Shah in Iran, South America, pretty much every country in South America, um, Vietnam, Korea. We haven't had a lot of good choices. Afghanistan under the Mujahideen who ended up becoming the guys who bombed us in 2001, mm-hmm. 2000, 1990. Oh, you mean in, in even the, uh, the rocket launchers to the uh, uh, fight, put, fight the Soviets? Right. Yeah. CIA fought, equipped trained those dudes who then blew up the World Trade Center in the 90s, the USS Cole, and then the finally the World Trade Center. So the last time in 2001. So like the US does not have a good track record on this intervention. Mm-hmm. And yet the people who are in that system continue to advocate for that kind of policy. Yeah, like so, like straight up, just like military contractors, like we need, we need another war. Let's let's get this war going, like that kind of thing. Mm, no, I mean like the generals. I think I I think the higher staff prop, and I don't know. You know, I was I was not a highly ranked officer. Uh, mm-hmm. I met a few admirals. Some of them were very nice, but whenever you would talk to them about policy or the Navy, they would let off these like insane facts. 
And yeah, so the dude who talked about us being at war with China, maybe he knew some real top secret stuff that I don't know. But as a U.S. citizen, I would stipulate right right now that we're at war with China. We were at war with Russia for 45 years mm -hmm. and never fought Russia. But we did fight a lot of Russia's allies. Yeah. Or that we were scared might be Russia's allies. Yeah. Or even topple governments that we were afraid might be sympathetic to Russia, which mm -hmm. is what we did in South America. And I think right now we're at war with China in the sense that they're not our ally. If, you know, if Russia was to bomb us tomorrow, we, we probably couldn't go to China and be like, hey, you're going to attack Russia, right? They probably would be like, yeah. well, we'll set this one out. There was a time when you could have made a case for that, like right after Nixon and Kissinger did their thing over there. But then, yeah, after Tiananmen, it, it, it got a little uh, colder between the two countries. And that's kind of the third phase we're in now, which, yeah, it's just it's a little tenuous. I mean, it seems to be like it's just in an awkward place that could just stay that way a very long time. <laughs> um, but you could also see how, you know, someone in the military would be like, well, we need to make sure we're prepared in case, right? We need to have like enough jets. Totally agree. To get like air. That's Eisenhower's argument, man. That's his argument. His argument is we need this stuff. We won't be able to thrive in an environment where we have to really suddenly build up our military power. So we have to have this stuff. And I get it. Like he may have had a certain amount of preventionism in his head when he said mm -hmm. we were going to go china we got to be prepared for it but it still kind of rings as batshit crazy when you hear someone say that it, it based on my reading of the allison article saying that we are definitely going to war with china like i thought that was way off base so yeah if he's aligned with that then i would definitely not find a good argument yeah I, I don't think it's a compelling argument it's yeah. a counter globalization argument right it, it you know the big failing and I, I got accused of this by a number of people that I was sort of isolationist or anti-globalization because of our treaties and our, mm. you know, our deals with our allies. Uh, but I'm not, and it's not a good idea to be anti-globalization. Anti Britain is going to gut their economy by the end of the month or they're going to go crawling back to Europe and beg that they don't oh, kick them out. Oh, if they manage some kind of... Yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not a good deal to go against globalization. So I don't think there's any economic incentive for, for example, China and uh, the United States to go to war. Yeah. It's there's not just, war. That's an anti-globalization move, and it's a bad move. There's a lot of other complexes that would push back to say, no, we've got to keep this China thing going. Because like, a lot of very other powerful corporations who would be like, yeah. Like I think Apple might object, you know, Google might object. Like, there's a lot of big other influencers besides, you know, Boeing and Northrop Grumman or whatever that can and <laughs> balance it, that out. Yeah. <laughs> if you read the financial uh, situation of the average American who can barely afford, uh, you know, a sudden expense of $2,000, let's yeah. say they have a you know, they can't afford that. What happens when they can't get anything at Walmart anymore? What happens when all their goods are more expensive because they're made in the EU or the United States or North Africa? What happens, you know? Yeah, it's they're going to a deal right now. It's just, yeah, I don't see how. It's and and they are benefiting from it. And, you know, their currency in China is barely afloat. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, it's not going to, I don't, I'm not smart enough. I'm not the expert. I'm a civil servant now. Like I don't know this stuff well, but I can I can make some basic guesses off of what I do know. Well, the important thing is that you care. Like that's like you have a topic here. This is what you're into. You're passionate about it, but also you're minded enough to like go on change of and be like, let's talk about it. So that's you know that's that's why this exists. That's like you know, it's good stuff. And yeah, I don't know. I just that's like I said. That's all I want. I just want people to care. I just want people to be involved in this issue. Mm -hmm. I want, you know, for me, anti-war candidate has become, not anti-war, that's the wrong message. 
what I what I mean by that is you need to be skeptical about America's foreign policy. That's a that's a single voter issue for me now, from my experience. Hmm. People, yeah. some, you know, some people make abortion their single issue. Yeah. My single issue now is if you're a American expansionism, interventionist, pro-war candidate, I don't vote for you anymore. Steelbreaker, yeah. No, I know what you mean, man. Like, yeah, my my my, my single issue has become just better dialogue across both sides. So yeah, I, I do feel the same way where I found that one thing where I'm like, if you can't have like a nice discussion with people, like I don't want you in office. Like, right. Yeah. So we have we need to have uh, uh, ranked choice voting. Apparently in the countries and in, in, in localities that have it, ranked choice voting eliminates negativity because you can't go negative when you could be someone's number two. And if you attack their number one, you're never going to be their number two vote. Oh, CGP Grey has a great series of videos about that. I don't know if you've seen them. No, I I I, I heard like oh. I heard I heard a radio lab podcast oh, okay. yeah. about Ireland voting hmm. by ranked choice, and uh, and I I I'd read some stuff about uh, some districts in I believe New York, Colorado, and California yeah. that did rank, but it basically eliminates going negative because hmm. it's, a, it's a huge disincentive disincentive to go negative on your yeah. opponent when you're competing for first preference, second preference, and third preference, yeah. and not just either or. Gotcha. Well, um, we're coming up, we're actually well over an hour now, but uh, I did, before we wrapped up, wanted to uh, circle back to the Mattis thing if we could. I'd be remiss not to, to look sure, at it. Sure, yeah. Um, and it, it, so that was this, uh, when Mattis resigned, seemed to be a, a catalyst for you, at least around, around this issue, when really got you uh, more into it. And so I just want to sort of like get a little clarity around all that. And um, you, so basically, you, you didn't like the way that he he stormed out on a on account of being opposed to the president's policies, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, and is that is your objection kind of because it is a defense military type thing that there's like a kind of a like a an obligation to see it through sort of thing? Mm. I, I saw it. Now, look, he may be right about Syria. I, I, it's not about Syria. It's the petulant nature of a career government, you know, war minister mm -hmm. who spent his life to become a general, and then they had to get waivers to allow him to be the secretary of defense because you're not allowed to make an active general, uh, even though it's happened a number of times, sure. uh, secretary of defense. Um, and the one time someone was like, Hey, remember how we're still, we still have a base in Germany. Like the Nazis aren't coming back. We should probably close that base. The one time someone wanted to shrink America's empire, not only did Mattis resign, but there was bipartisan condemnation of our mm -hmm. withdrawal and a resolution in Congress. So it just like America cannot be anything but an empire, and it it drove me nuts. So it's not just Mattis. Okay, so but you're you're like your concern is perhaps that their votes, their opinions weren't genuinely held, but that they were uh, an. Um, appeal to the uh, lobby of the military industrial complex. No, man, I, I don't really think it's that like it's that cynical. I think, okay, okay. I think Jim Mattis probably legitimately believes it's a bad idea in Syria. It may be a bad idea to pull out of Syria. And I, I, I think in Congress, there's probably a lot of taking a shot at Trump just because they can get away with it because and, and 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 because the public doesn't care about war, like so they can they can condemn Trump on pulling out of Syria, and nobody's not going to vote for them for that, even though it makes every single one of them aligned with American Empire and right. America's forever war. They're not going to lose any votes on that. So, I, but it's not like it's not like some sort of conspiratorial. Mm -hmm. They're trying to curry favor with the military industrial complex. Gotcha. Okay. Cause I, I just, 
like with Madison, I, I, I may be missing something on this, but um, you just described him as petulant and, uh, and having a tantrum or whatever, but I, I missed the tantrum part. Like, was there a, some kind of uh, angry interview or something I missed or? No, no, he, no, no, no. I, you know, I'm coloring him as petulant. I, to me, it's like, you've been this, you've been this, uh, you know, this stand-up warrior of American empire your entire career. And the first, the first boss you have that says less empire you storm out and quit. That's the way I color it. That's certainly not the way he framed it or the way uh, his resignation goes. Okay, so so you don't take his resignation at face value as far as him saying he, yeah, I believe our must be resolute and ambiguous in our approach to countries whose strategic interests are increasing in tension with ours, that China and Russia, for example, want to shape the world uh, with their authoritarian model. So like he, he's, he's basically saying like, these countries are bad for democracy. President Trump's getting way too close to them. I have concerns about that for democracy. Therefore, I can no longer support that. Like, is that you're not you can't take that at face value? I guess. I think he's probably dead right on that point. I think yeah. I, I and then I, I said that earlier uh, when I when I explained what I mm -hmm. thought rationale was was and I, and I think he's oh, right. Okay, sorry if I didn't uh, grab that right the way. Yeah. No, no, it's cool. I'm not I'm not critiquing you. I'm just like summarizing. Like oh, yeah. I said that earlier. Like. He, he probably is right about Syria that we, we, we need to get out of there or we, we need to stay in there because China and Russia are going to fill that vacuum and it's not good for American interest. But you can make that claim about every single country. Mm -hmm. And again, I pro we probably should have stayed in Syria. Like I'm not, it's not about mm -hmm. Syria so much as it's about that any opportunity to shrink America's empire is confronted with a sudden resignation, a petulant letter, and bipartisan condemnation in, in Congress. That's what kind of like set me off into post that. Yeah. There's just like the, the, all the overall consensus is just like you're thinking like just now. It's like, outside. It's outside yeah. compared with the, the reality you think. Yeah. The reality. Yeah. Cool. Like we, if, we, if we were to close Ramstein Air Base in Germany and be like, hey, the Nazis aren't coming back. Turns out they don't like them anymore in Germany. Mm -hmm. close this base like probably would get a little bit of con condemnation mm -hmm. it shouldn't it shouldn't be controversial uh you know they don't want us on okinawa for example well okinawa wants us on okinawa japan doesn't want us on okinawa so if they were to close that base and we were to leave there'd probably be some condemnation yeah well, it'll be interesting to see how those developments go in the next decade or so as far as self-defense forces and if that if they've grown a more robust homegrown military, uh, but we'll see what happens. It'll be a long term yeah. thing. Yeah, we'll see what happens with North Korea. It's going to totally yeah. change. North Korea gets crazy about Japan. Oh yeah, that's a whole other world. <laughs> um, but we've gone super long, and I, I should probably wrap it up soon. But uh, is there anything else you wanted to bring up or uh, discuss about the post before we wrap? Yeah, I, you know, just a lot of people made a lot of really good points um, about. Uh, 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 you know, the the whole essentially what Mattis said that that China and Russia are gonna are gonna jump into these holes, and I you know you're right they are, but at a certain point I I, I just feel like we gotta choose a a position as a, as a country about whether or not that's our our chief concern, um, because it hasn't worked out for us in the past to be involved. It really, I just look at the track record, you know, there's, it's hard to see examples where America did well. And I just want people to be involved. I just want people to be, be passionate about this stuff or to at least care enough to, to follow it. That's, you know, that's, that's all I would leave it with. Right on. Well, well, this is uh this has been great. And I really appreciate you taking the time and not only with the, this, but with the post and being engaged with all that in the community. And I look forward to seeing more of you in the subreddit and all that. Um, but yeah, this has been great. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Absolutely. All right. Well, have a great uh, rest of your day, and uh, I'll probably have this up in the next day or so. So. Cool, man. All right. Thanks a lot.